about a church, one of our churches back east. When the new minister, Reverend Victoria Safford, joined an old New England congregation, a longtime member comes to see her. The member, nearly 90 years old, grew up in the church, and her parents had joined in the late 19th century. She says to Victoria, I don't like change. I'm not really sure I like you. (laughs) Or what I'd call your point of view. Just remember, she says, I have outlived all your predecessors, and I will probably outlive you. This member is a dedicated political conservative in what had become a progressive community. She's a liberal Christian in a congregation that had known gracious eras of theological diversity and also some fits of intolerance. She'd worked for the U.S. State Department through three wars, for the American Unitarian Association through the merger with the Universalist Church of America, In this church of her childhood, which she had never left, most votes in the annual meetings had not gone her way for the past 40 years. (laughs) She was no stranger to discord. In the end, she did outlive Victoria. She died shortly after Victoria left to accept a call in another state. Deeply saddened by the news, Victoria writes, Over the ten years, we cultivated a fierce, respectful love for one another. And what I loved in her most was her commitment to that church, no matter what. Her fidelity to it, the ferocity with which she paid her pledge each year, no matter how wayward the budget, or insufferable the sermons, in her humble opinion. She kept her covenant with that people, with their proud history and the bright promise of their future, and with the free faith tradition they embodied. I was a young minister then, and her way of being in relation, her integrity, taught me more about Unitarian universalism than anything I'd learned in seminary. I think of her often on Sundays when we gather to say our covenant and welcome our people, knowing this is a congregation bound not by creed, but by covenant. So I tell the story because many here are as committed to Hope Church, riding the waves of change that inevitably come. Hope Church develops. The culture around us evolves. All while each one of us changes, yet there is a center that holds. No matter the current fads, the weather, the minister, or the board of trustees, that center is our covenant. 
our commitment to each other and to the community beyond. So this month, we'll examine this central tenet of our faith, tenet. We don't form ourselves around a single theological belief. We form ourselves around the bonds we have to one another. And I also tell that story because it suggests that the bonds exist beyond life. This time of year, we pay homage to the fine line between the living and the dead. Halloween, All Saints Day, All Souls Day, are all focused on those who've gone before. They are a chance to acknowledge we still have covenants from our, from our ancestors and with them. The veil between life and death can be quite thin. I can easily get dewy-eyed, and so can other Unitarian Universalists, talking about covenant. We describe it in increasingly abstract and glowing terms, like love with hearts and little smiley faces. This tendency to talk in generalities may come from how much of what we deal with here in church, in our religious setting, is really invisible. Love is the spirit of this church. A covenant is invisible, and service, it's law. We are always aiming for transcendent ideals. This is our great covenant. While we sort through the nitty-gritty reality of living out, our ideals to dwell together in peace to seek the truth and love to help one another like Joseph said a covenant is a conscious promise to take creative, imaginative compassionate steps to stay in relationship with others and these others must agree to do the same. Taking part in a covenant is always voluntary. It's a voluntary agreement. Each person must enter the covenanted relationship freely. Coercion is never involved. Our religious ancestors, both the pilgrims and the Puritans, were pushing against constraints from the Church of England in the late 1500s and 1600s, and they pull away from the Church of England over issues of church governance. Who's in charge, who makes decisions, and who has the final authority? In the Church of England, bishops had final say, then the king. Ministers and lay people were forbidden to gather to study the Bible or discuss matters of theology or the church. So fleeing tyrannical dictates, they come to the colonies, to this new, new to them, land. They're not risking their lives to leave the British Isles over issues of theology, but over polity 
over church governance. Able to start afresh, they form Christian communities under new organizing principles. They create a free church and sympathetic civil government. As spelled out in the Cambridge Platform, a document of liberty that predates our Constitution by 100 years, each congregation is independent and subject to the authority of its members rather than bishops, councils, monarchs. No matter the level of religious devotion, a single person is incapable of being a church. A church arises out of a covenant between multitudes. Similarly, today, Hope Church arises out of this covenant and agreement. And it's not enough to call oneself Unitarian and never attend services or events or make a pledge. To be a member, we have to participate. We are Unitarian Universalists in community. And like the Puritans, we can describe the boundaries of our church as all those who wish, wish to be bound together. Electing to be in covenant, we promise to maintain healthy relationships and commit to holding each other accountable in the most loving way possible. Well, the efforts to keep connections alive between imperfect creatures is messy. Messy. Other people's actions, comments, and communications may cause harm. We get our feelings hurt, we want to lash out or wash our hands of the person and the situation, while our own words and actions may be similar sources of harm. When one person judges the covenant to be broken, when someone hurts someone else, and inevitably we will, we are committed to the relationship, to the links between us. We promise to work to clear the air. Promise-making, promise-breaking, and promise-repairing take time. If you quit in the heat of the moment, you'll miss the magic of impossible pain turning into reconnections and insights. In the heat of the moment, it's difficult to see different potential responses. In the heat of the moment, we can only see our hurt, our pain. It takes time to gain enough distance to see events from a different perspective. Only then can we begin to investigate. It, takes, it may take getting someone else's valued opinion or just allowing ourselves to step back. I'm not talking about gossip where you get a friend to join in and justifying your perceptions and show how horrible the other person is. We are obligated by covenant to examine our own role in the interaction. With time, we can start to make previously unseen choices, needing time 
is one key reason being in covenant means you're in for the long haul. So in the Wall Street Journal this summer, I came across a terrific article, The Best Way to Make Up After Any Argument. And it was not sex. (laughs) The article zeroes in on fights between couples, but when I read it, I saw its universal application to any relationship rooted in love. Our covenanted relationships are rooted in love. Love is the spirit of this church. Our Puritan ancestors saw the covenant that they were working out as a clear expression of Jesus' command, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So this article distills how to repair a break in covenant down to five steps. I printed them out and keep them on our fridge at home. Some instructions are obvious, but taken as a whole, the list is a doozy. Challenging, humbling, purifying. And the directions come from the work and experience of Dr. Hall Shorey who's a clinical psychologist and associate professor in Philadelphia. He reminds us conflict is normal. You don't want to avoid it. Instead, you want to manage it. So Shorey explains his ideas revolve around one central question that each person must ask the other. What do you need from me. What do you need from me? The question is not, what do I need from you? When we get stuck in, what do I need from you? We typically are seeking an apology, an affirmation that our views really are the correct ones. If only the other person would see it our way. We may be skirting around shame or embarrassment. Instead, What do you, in this broken relationship, need from me? Covenant repair involves we, not I. You, not me. Love thy neighbor as thyself. So I share the list with you today. I have ushers ready to hand out cards. (laughs) Thank you, lovely ladies. I'm not sure if they're enough. I printed about 70, so you may... Families, because you'll be using it at home together, you can share. (laughs) So when you get one, or until you get one, begin to think about a recent relationship, either here in the church, at work, within your family, that feels broken. Pick one where both of you are committed in covenant with each other, And then think of the moment where it might have been, a bond might have been torn or broken. Mm, I have a few in mind. (laughs) I have in mind a family argument and a disconnect. 
Do you have something in mind? Well, the first instruction, once you get your card, is wait to talk until you're both no longer upset. From sleeping on it before you send that angry email to simply pausing, taking a breath, and being slower to react. And an instant apology in that moment actually can't always smooth the waters. Second is, give up the idea of being right. Bang. Don't focus on details. Focus on how you feel. We've talked before about the dangers of assuming your perspective is the right one and the only one. We value diverse perspectives and theologies. We expect them. Humility, coupled with curiosity, is a central saving message we bring to the world. The third instruction, verbalize your understanding of how the other person feels. I often find it hard to figure out what I'm thinking and feeling, but the practice to then, once I've named my own, to imagine what the other person, where their feelings are coming from. This is the point where you can try to ask questions clarify the situation and really come to understand what's going on with this other person. At this point, you've begun empathy, moving from me to you. And the fourth, quash any impulse to defend yourself. (laughs) Sheesh! Isn't defending yourself how... Well, isn't defending myself how I keep my ego and self-image intact? The goal here is to see the covenant as a two-way street. We must take responsibility for our own actions, no matter who or what started the rend in the relationship. Defending ourselves while blaming others keeps the focus on us rather than on the relationship as a whole and on the other person or people. And then the fifth item goes back to relying on the passage of time as a valued, essential friend. Except that it will take a while to feel better. Set a time to check in and monitor progress. Keep that relationship humming. The last step is accountability. Shorey suggests, as an example, it never hurts to say something like, Hey! I know I hurt you, and I have tried to change. How am I doing? So keep these cards in your wallet or purse. Try them out. If you want to practice walking through them, ask a friend to help. Make an appointment to see me. Write in a journal. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. allergies thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself it sounds so simple 
But keeping a covenant is very hard work. And it's countercultural, and it's not how our society operates. And it's ongoing. I'm convinced maintaining our covenant is so challenging, it's a significant factor in the size of our church and our association as a whole. It seems easier to walk away when things become challenging, heated. If you do, then you give up the chance to experience new promises. You give up watching others learn what it means to stay in covenant. You give up witnessing the covenant of our ancestors, of Victoria's 90-year-old member, of the saints represented by the leaves on our memorial tree in the back. You miss witnessing how the, the covenants remain alive. In words adapted from the Puritans' Cambridge platform, may we walk together in the ways of truth and affection as best we know them now or may we learn them in days to come that we and our children may be fulfilled and that we may speak to the world in words and actions of peace and goodwill may it be so